Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Brawley, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org, or simply download the CCCIV app, you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977 in mark chapter 5 jesus has just amazed the disciples at the end of mark chapter 4 they set out across the sea of galilee and in the midst of their expedition to the other side, a great tempest arises upon the sea and the boat begins to be filled with water and the disciples are bailing water out of the boat, distressed. They think they're going to sink. They think they're going to die. And Jesus is in the stern of the boat with his head on a pillow sleeping. And they come to Jesus and they say to Jesus, don't you care? Look, we're we're perishing. Our life is in danger. Jesus stands. He says, peace, be still. And the water ceases to rage. And the disciples are amazed, and they say, who is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? They reach the other side, and immediately when they get out of the boat, they're met by a man who's demon-possessed. He calls himself Legion, and he says, because we are many. This man, the scripture tells us, walked about in the tombs, in a cemetery, in a graveyard, naked, crying out and cutting himself. He's tormented by these demons. There's really no hope for this man. He's without hope. He's been abandoned there. They tried to shackle and chain him, but he would just break loose the chains, break loose the shackles, and continue tormenting himself, cutting himself, crying out, asking for deliverance, but he's possessed. There's nothing anyone can do. And there he comes. He meets Jesus' face. Face to face. Jesus rebukes the demons, and the, the demons speak forth from this man. They say, well, Have you come to torment us before our time? We know who you are. Are you here to torment us? Speaking of the place of destruction, the place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, the place called outer darkness. Have you come to, to sentence us to that place before our time? Please don't do that just yet. Let us go into these swine. Jesus permits it to be so. They enter the swine, 2,000 swine. They run off a cliff and they drown at the bottom of the cliff. Now, those who were witnesses to this, they were amazed. They were dumbfounded. They go back into the city and they tell what had happened, what Jesus has just done. People from the city come out to see what has taken place. This deliverance that has just taken place, they see this man. The scripture says this. They see this man who was demon-possessed, who had no hope, who was without hope in this world, tormented, cutting, suffering. And it says this. They saw him clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Of Jesus. Think about that just for a moment. They saw Jesus deliver this man who'd been suffering and it instilled fear within them. The people from the town actually come to Jesus at that point and they beg him, please leave us. Go away from here. 
But that man who had been delivered, who was naked, who was bound, who was tortured, he comes to Jesus and he doesn't beg that Jesus would leave. He begs to follow Jesus. And Jesus says this to the man, no, you don't come with me. I want you to go back to those whom you love and I want you to tell them what I've done for you. Here's a man that we look at and we think it's impossible for this man to be saved. It's impossible for this man to be delivered. But here's what I want you to understand this morning is this room is filled with stories just like that man. People who were bound, people who were suffering in sin, people who were possessed by the world or worldliness, people who had no hope, people whom we would look at and we would say, there's no way God could save that person. But then they have an encounter with Jesus and the story changes. This room is filled with those stories. I'm one of those stories. And what is amazing to me about the text that we're going to read this morning in Daniel chapter 4 is that we have another one of those stories. We have a story of this man, Nebuchadnezzar, who by the world's standards had everything, everything his heart could possibly desire. He was want for nothing. He had all of the riches the world could offer, He had all of the fame. He had all of the power. He was the king over the known world at that time. I mean, he he had everything under his authority and under his control. And yet still, he's someone who has an encounter with God and his life changes. This is what I want you to see this morning. As though he was a king, he's no different than you or than me when he stands in the presence of God. He needs the same deliverance. He needs the same salvation. He needs the same truth. He needs the same filling of the Holy Spirit that you and I do in order to be able to come into the presence of the Lord one day. He may be a king, but his story is just like yours and just like mine. Daniel chapter 4. Just to put this in context where we left off last week in Daniel chapter 3, we saw how these three young men stood up to the The call to commit idolatry, to bow before an image. When the flutes are played, everyone's supposed to bow. They said, we will not bow. It doesn't matter what you do with us. You can throw us in the fire. That's fine. But we will not bow to this image because we believe we're supposed to bow to the Lord and the Lord alone. They stood on their convictions, and God delivers them through that. Nebuchadnezzar sees this amazing sign. He looks into the fire, and he says, I thought we threw three men into the fire, but yet I see that there's a fourth, and his image, his appearance is like the, the son of man. He's like, it's like he's an angel. It's like he's God himself in the midst of the fire with these three boys that we sent in. He gives glory to God, but his heart is not yet changed. He's not yet given over. He's not yet saved. He acknowledges an amazing, miraculous sign and miracle, but it doesn't lead to salvation. Think about that just for a moment. The sign and the miracle did not produce salvation. That will never produce salvation. Why? Because there's something that has to happen. There's something that has to be quickened within us. Faith has to enter in. If we only saw it, there's no faith in our seeing and feeling and touching. Faith has to enter. And you have to make an exercise of your faith. You have to put your faith in a risen Jesus in order to be saved. Now look at what this says here 
Daniel chapter 4. This is some 30 years after Daniel chapter 3. This, most Bible commentators believe that this is around the 35th year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. At this point in time, Daniel would have been about 50 years old. Look at this, verse 1, Daniel chapter 4. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all of the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and the wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Now pause there for a moment. If you're taking notes, I want you to take those out. If you're watching from home, if you're streaming, you can follow along in our church app. The outline is actually there for you to follow along with. But this is what it says. Listen there. This is a proclamation now that Nebuchadnezzar is going to make. And it's it's like blows my mind that in the midst of the book of Daniel, this entire chapter is given over to the story of Nebuchadnezzar, his conversion story, that moment where he came to know the God of Israel. Right? This is actually written in Aramaic. It's not even in Hebrew. It's in their native tongue. Now, listen to this for a moment here. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all the people's nations, he gives this greeting. But did you notice there? He says, peace be multiplied to you in this proclamation now that Nebuchadnezzar is making. He says, Daniel, you're writing this book. I want my story in the book. And he begins with this proclamation, and he includes a typical Hebrew greeting in his proclamation. Peace be unto you. In Hebrew, that would be shalom. This is how they greeted one another, right? Now, he goes on, and in verse 3, he actually quotes. He says, how great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. He's quoting, uh, loosely quoting, Psalm 145. He's quoting the Hebrew text. Here's this this completely Gentile king, a pagan king who's been up to this point involved in, in, in uh, pagan worship, worshiping multiple gods, idolatry, and yet something has happened in his life to where now when he's making this proclamation, he's greeting with the Hebrew language, shalom, and he's quoting Hebrew scripture. How does that happen? It happens because there's a young man in his life that grew along with him who's now 50 years old, who had an incredible influence over this pagan king. And it didn't matter how the world was living, how Babylon was living, Daniel held true to his commitments, right, his convictions. He lived those out before the king, and the king watched, and the king admired it, and something was changing in the king. 35 years he'd been in in power, 30 years since Daniel chapter 3. He'd been watching Daniel, and now he's starting to sound like Daniel, and he's starting to think like Daniel, and he's starting to read those things that are important to Daniel. Do you see the miracle of this? Do you see how amazing this is? What you need to take from this today is each of you this morning have influence that you exert over people that are in your circle. I will never be able to get into that circle. I will never be welcomed into that circle. I will never be able to preach God's word in that circle. But do you know who does have influence in that circle? You do. And God can use you just like God used Daniel in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. You see the same thing happen in the life of Joseph. Joseph was was Pharaoh's confidant. He was there, his right-hand man, his second-in-command. And and Pharaoh saw Joseph's wisdom uh, come out over and over again throughout their life that he respected and admired Pharaoh. Now, now I I can't say for certain that Pharaoh was saved, right? But there was an influence that Joseph was planting into Pharaoh. He wasn't wasting 
that time. You look at Nehemiah. Nehemiah goes before Artaxerxes and, and he's saying, please let me go back to start to rebuild Jerusalem, be, rebuild my homeland. And for some reason, Artaxerxes says, yes, go do that thing. Why? Because Nehemiah was the king's cupbearer. He tasted the food before Nebuchadnezzar ate the food and he had had influence during that time, during that season. Look at the story of Paul in Acts chapter 16. There they are, they're, they're in prison for preaching the faith, that at midnight they're praying and singing hymns and crying out to God and blessing and worshiping God, and the earth begins to shake, and the prison doors fling wide open, and the shackles fall from their feet, and the, the jailer hears the commotion, and he comes and he sees that the gates, the, the prison doors have swung wide open, and he's about to take his life, because if his prisoners escape, it means the death of him. And Paul cries out and he says, stop, we're all still here. There's no reason to take your life. And that jailer comes to Paul, falls on his face and says, what do I need to do to be saved? How can my life become more like your life? What do I have to do to know this Jesus? And Paul says, you just need to believe upon Jesus and you can be saved. And the scripture says this, that they jailer takes the prisoners back to his home that they preach there to his home the whole household believes the whole household is baptized and the jailer begins to bandage the prisoners wounds why because there was an influence they didn't waste a moment they were even locked up in a prison cell and it seemed hopeless but they didn't waste their influence they continued to sow those seeds they continued to glorify and praise god and people were watching my friends in the midst of maybe your suffering that you're dealing with this morning, understand that there are people watching to see how you will respond in the midst of your trial. Will you give glory and honor and praise to God? And understand that that's a powerful thing. When people watch that again, Daniel was taken from his homeland held captive in Babylon, yet he flourished, yet he continued to worship and glorify God, and it changed something in Nebuchadnezzar's heart. He begins to talk like, Daniel and to think like Daniel and to read the religious texts of Daniel. Look at again these first three verses. He says there, I, 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 wanted to, I wanted to do this. I wanted to make sure that I took the time, verse two. It seemed good to me to show you, to show to you the signs and the wonders the Most High has done for me. Nebuchadnezzar says, it's my turn now to give testimony to God. It's my turn now to tell my story of God's faithfulness. This is my turn to tell the world what God has done for me. You realize when Jesus was about to ascend to heaven, he looked at the believers that were there, his, his people, his disciples that had followed him so faithfully, and he said this. He said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses for me. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. You shall testify of me. What does it mean to testify? What does it mean to give witness? It just means to tell your story. Go tell people what I have done for you, Jesus said. Nebuchadnezzar here is saying, I, I want to use this opportunity. I'm the king. You're writing a book, Daniel. I want to share my story in your book. I want the world to know what God has done for me. Now, it's amazing to me that in the book of Acts, you can read in Acts chapter 4 how the disciples are continuing to preach the gospel and they're getting the word of God out and, and the religious leaders are upset because they can feel their power slipping through their fingers. And so they bring the disciples and they, and they say to the disciples, we're forbidding you 
to continue to preach the name of Jesus, to preach this gospel in the name of, in the name of Jesus. We forbid it. And what do the disciples say? They say this, we can't but tell of the things that we have seen and we have heard. We have no option but to give testimony and witness to what God has done. And I want to encourage each of you this morning, because you might be here this morning and you might feel like, well, you know what, Pastor Chris, I don't know the word like you do. I don't have the ability to, to, to recall scriptures like you do. I don't, I don't maybe have the ability to, to share in a group of people like you do, or whatever your case might be. I want you to understand this. None of those things matter to the Lord. What God has called you to do is to be faithful with your story. That's all that he's requiring of you. Just be faithful to your story. In John chapter 9, there's a man there that is blind from birth, and Jesus sees him, right? And, and Jesus heals this man. He, he bends down into the dirt. He spits in the dirt. He makes mud with the dirt. He rubs it on the man's eyes, and he says, now go wash in the pool of Siloam. And so the man obediently finds his way to the pool of Siloam there in Jerusalem. He washes out his eyes, and he can see miraculously. He's been blind from birth. Now, this amazes the crowds, amazes the people, Right? And they call, the religious leaders call the man before them. And they say, we want you to give testimony. Admit it. The man who did this on your behalf is a sinner. We know he's a sinner because he healed you on the Sabbath. What does the man reply? He says this, I can't tell you whether or not he's a sinner. All, only thing I can tell you, one thing I know is that I was blind, but now I see. This is what God has done for me. This is my story. And so you don't have the Romans road memorized. And so you don't have a bunch of scriptures that you can recall on the tip of your tongue. But do you know what you do have at all times with you? You have your story. I can't tell you much. All I know and all I understand is that I was once an addict and now I've been set free. Once I was involved in, in sin and adultery and now I've been set free. Once I was a man who was angry and bitter at the world, but I've been set free. Once I was a man who was overtaken with lust, but now I've been set free. My story, your story, is all that God expects you to be faithful to, to share. Right? This is what Nebuchadnezzar's doing. He's saying, I want to share my story. Now let's look at the narration of this dream now, beginning in verse 4, that Nebuchadnezzar is going to give an account to. Nebuchadnezzar, verse 4, says, I, Nebuchadnezzar. Now notice here, this is being written at this point in time in the first person. Nebuchadnezzar is telling his story. He says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. Now, I love that God can be trusted in this way. Because Nebuchadnezzar, he says on his own account, by his own words, and under his own admission, that I was at peace. I was at ease. I was laying on my bed. I had everything I could possibly want. When it says to prosper, that means to flourish. It means to live luxuriously. He's living high on the hog. I mean, he's got anything his heart could possibly want. To say that he's at ease, it means that he was at rest, that he wasn't involved in conflict. Right, But God pursues him to that place of complacency. And God says, you might feel like you're at ease. You might feel like you're prospering. From the world's perspective, you might look like you have it all, but you don't have me just yet, Nebuchadnezzar. And so what does God do? God pursues Nebuchadnezzar to that place of complacency. 
You understand this, don't you, this morning, that you cannot have real, true peace if you don't have peace with God? There is no peace in this life unless you have peace with God. And the scripture tells us that we have peace with God through Jesus Christ the Son. That is the only way that you can truly have peace. And so you, if you do not have that relationship with Jesus yet, God will pursue you, even if you feel like you have it all together, you have it all figured out, God will pursue you to that place because he loves you that much. He's not going to allow you to remain comfortable and at ease and prosperous if you're not at peace with Jesus. He loves you too much to allow you to stay in that place. This morning, if you lack peace, if you feel like there's turmoil, if you feel like your life is a struggle, could that be by God's design because God's trying to grab hold of your attention? God's trying to say, hey, there's a relationship that is out of order in your life. Hey, there's, there's a direction that you're pursuing in your career or in your education that isn't quite right. Hey, there's some unconfessed sin that you're harboring or that you're holding on to, and you need to make that right. Hey, there's some bitterness or some anger that you haven't let go of just yet. And so God removes your peace so that you can get that right with him. God loves you enough to pursue you to that place. Jesus tells the story to his disciples of a shepherd in Matthew chapter 18. And he says, which one of you, as a man, if he has a hundred sheep, wouldn't leave the 99 sheep to pursue the one sheep that has gone astray? That shepherd will leave the 99 together in the flock. They will pursue the one sheep that has gone astray. They will seek him down, find him. That shepherd will search high and low until that sheep has been found. And then he'll bring that sheep back into the fold, rejoicing over the one sheep that was found than over the 99 that never were led astray. This is what Jesus, our good shepherd, does in our lives for us. And sometimes in order to pursue us, he's, he allows us to lose our peace. Nebuchadnezzar says there, I thought I had it all together. I was at ease. I was prospering. But then I had this vision and this dream. And literally it says it terrified me. When he says I was afraid, that means I was terrified. I was sapped of my strength. I was sapped of my peace. It was fleeting. I couldn't find it. Something was wrong and I couldn't place my finger on it. God loves you enough this morning, and I, I want you to hear this very clearly. If you're in a place this morning where you lack peace, that is God pursuing you, saying something in your life needs to be made right. And when you make that thing right, whether it's a confession, whether it's forgiveness, right, whatever that thing might be, when you make that thing right, peace will return. I say this often, but God will guide us by the presence or the absence of peace. When you have peace, when your life feels at rest, you can know and you can understand that I'm in the center of God's will. I'm walking with the Lord, receiving from God, doing what he's called me. When peace is absent, you need to understand that there's something that isn't right in your life. And you need to get on your hands and your knees before the Lord and say, show me what it is because I want peace with you again. Amen? Nebuchadnezzar says, I thought I had it all, but I was terrified when I had this dream. Look at it. It says, as I lay in bed... The fancies and the visions of my head, they alarmed me. So I made a decree. 
that all of the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, and they could not make known to me its interpretation. Now, isn't this interesting that Nebuchadnezzar would do this? Do you remember in Daniel chapter 2, we saw how Daniel was able to give this amazing interpretation even though he hadn't yet heard the dream. There's a spiritual lesson that you can see here in the life of Nebuchadnezzar because what Nebuchadnezzar does here is he returns to the old way. He had seen God move miraculously. He had seen an amazing interpretation given even though he had never disclosed the dream. But you know what? Some 30, 35 years goes by, he forgets that that's what God can do and he starts to handle things the old way. I wonder if there's any of us in here that might be guilty of that, that you started walking really fervently, really faithful with, with God, and you were willing to allow God to move in your life, to surrender control. But as you have walked with the Lord, slowly but surely you're trying to take the reins back, aren't you? Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Raleigh, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org or simply download the cccib app you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977